You're listening to Brains On. We're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Okay, the studio is right over here. Oh, cool. But before we begin, we need to stand in front of Maisel, our full-length mirror on the studio door, do our power pose, and say, we got this. Wait, looks like the mirror's already occupied. Bob? Oh, hi, Molly. Oh, hi, Andra. What are you looking at? Uh, Yesterday, my my aunt told me that I had my mom's eyebrows. Okay. But no, these are are mine. I think she just meant your eyebrows look like your mom's eyebrows. Because, you know, you got half of your jeans from her. Oh, well, right. But these are my mom's jeans. I I borrowed these pants from her... Gosh, a few years ago now, but they're just so comfortable. I, I just keep forgetting to return them. <laughs> no, Bob, not J E A N jeans, G E N E jeans, mom jeans, not mom jeans. Yeah, like the genetic material that provides the instructions to all the cells in your body. Oh, r- right, of course. <clears throat> Oh, hey, look, Mom's calling now. <laughs> I'll put her on speaker. Hi, Mom. Hello, dear. Are you going to come by after work today? I picked up some new popsicles at the store, and I was thinking of having them with chili for dinner. Oh, I'll stop by for sure. I love chili pop night. And I'd love to take a look at your eyebrows, too. Oh, sure, honey. Well, we'll see you later. Oh, what a great mom. Well, we have to head to the studio for taping. Have a good day, Bob. And you may want to consider stopping home before heading to your mom's. Don't want her to notice you've permanently borrowed her jeans. Oh, right. Uh, I'll change into my jumpsuit. <laughs> so many more pockets to stash my popsicle sticks. Sure. <laughs> okay. Bye, Bob. Bye. So, so if these eyebrows are my mom's, where did I get this nose? You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and with me today is Andra from Austin, Texas. Hi, Andra. Hi, Molly. So you wrote to us saying that you would love for us to do an episode on genetics. Hello, my name is Andra, and I am 10 years old. The reason why I want to learn more about genetics and DNA is because they're really cool and complicated. Can someone scientifically explain what genetics and DNA do, and what's the difference between genetics and DNA? Also, how does DNA actually work? What does DNA look like under a microscope? What does DNA stand for? And so do you say that you look more like your mom or your dad? My mom, because she has brown curly hair. And you also have brown curly hair? Yep. I do too, but we're not related. (laughs) Are there any traits that you're sure you got from your mom or you're sure you got from your dad? Probably both my parents' blue eyes. Mm. Well, today we are talking traits, and some traits have to do with the way that you look. Like your eye color, blue, brown, green, or gray. Or your hair texture, curly, kinky, wavy, straight. Other traits have to do with how your body works, like if you need glasses or cilantro tastes like soap to you. Those are all traits, too. And your traits are inherited. That means you get them from your biological mother and father. They are passed down to you. That's kind of like how my parents passed down this cool mouth harp to me. I call it Mouthity Harpenstein. Musician and adventurer. Hey, Mark, you may have inherited a mouth harp, but it's not a trait. Oh, I know. Your traits come from your genes and your DNA, which lives in a chromosome that's packed in a cell, and you have millions and millions and millions of cells, and they make up everything in your body, and that's how it is. Can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah. 
my dude. <laughs> well, Mark, you just dropped a lot of knowledge there. Maybe a little too much too quick. Would you mind explaining that again? Oh, I would love to, Molly. In fact, I've prepared a little song on this very subject. Ready for the first verse? Oh, we're ready. There once was a body made up of cells. Inside those cells, the chromosomes dwell. Do they like it there? Yes, they think it's swell. Cells are these teeny tiny pieces of you, and of any living thing, really. We are each made up of trillions of cells, but they aren't all the same. Every cell is specialized to be and do different things. You have special hand cells in your hand, nose cells in your nose, brain cells in your brain, and pastrami in your stomach. You mean stomach cells in your stomach. Oh, yeah, those two. So each cell has something called a nucleus, and in that nucleus, chromosomes. Chromosomes are these collections of string-like material, all squiggly like spaghetti. So, you ready for the next verse? Oh, yes. Okay. There once was a body made up of cells. Inside those cells, the chromosomes dwell. Do they like it there? Well, they think it's swell. The chromosomes are made up of DNA. What's that you say? Oh, just DNA. Its actual name is a mouthful to say. <clears throat> so DNA stands for, get ready, deoxyribonucleic acid. Go ahead, try saying it. Deoxyribonucleic acid. Nice. But since we're pals with it, we can just call it DNA. And DNA is amazing. It's a super long chain of molecules containing tons of information. In fact, it has all the information needed to make your body. It's like the entire recipe for you. Wow, that sounds important. It is. And that's why it's inside almost every cell in your body. But like I mentioned before, your cells aren't all the same. So how do they know what kind of cell to be? Well, the DNA has the instructions. One set of instructions is all about how to be a hair-growing cell. Another set of instructions is about how to be a tongue cell or a toenail cell or whatever. We call these different sets of instructions genes, which leads me to the end of the song. Once more from the top, maestro! There once was a body made up of cells. Inside those cells, the chromosomes dwell. Do they like it there? Well, they think it's swell. And the chromosomes are made of DNA. What's that you say? Oh, just DNA. Its actual name is a mouthful to say. Deoxyribonucleic acid. Very good. Now let's wrap this up. <gasps> The DNA comes with sections called genes. They're instructions for stuff like eyeballs and spleens. They determine traits, or so it seems, like whether your eyes are brown, blue, or green. Very well done, Mark. Thank you, thank you. So cells have chromosomes, and chromosomes are made up of DNA, and DNA is broken into little sections called genes. It's a mouthful to say, but I think I got it. Exactly. And it's those genes that determine your traits. So when someone says you inherited your eyes from your dad, what they mean is you have his eye genes. And also in my case, what you have is a mouth harp. Come on, Mouthany Harpenstein. Let's set forth for our next adventure. Yeah! Wow, what an exit. 
Where did that horse come from anyways? I have no idea. All right, so where were we? Oh, yeah, traits. They come from your genes, and you have a lot of genes, around 20,000 different ones. And as Mark mentioned, they're part of the DNA that's packed in your chromosomes. So here's where things get even more interesting. Your chromosomes, that genetic stuff dwelling in your cells, most people have 46 of them. Half of them, so 23, come from your biological dad. Thanks, bio dad. And the other half come from your biological mom. Thanks, bio mom. So that means we have chromosomes and DNA and genes from both of our biological parents. That's how we get traits like theirs. They've got their mom's eyes. He has his dad's ears. She definitely has her dad's nail beds. But even though all of our genes come from our parents' chromosomes, it doesn't mean you have all the same chromosomes that they do. Your parents have two sets of chromosomes, just like you. But before they pass those on to their child, something happens. The two sets of chromosomes from the biological mom get all shuffled around, sort of like a deck of cards. And then she passes down just one half of those shuffled up chromosomes. The same thing happens with your bio dad's chromosomes. So the kid ends up with one set of chromosomes that's a mix of their dad's chromosomes and one set of chromosomes that's a mix of their mom's chromosomes. That's why we look like our parents, but still unique. It's sort of complicated and also awesome. Brains, brains, brains. Okay, Andra, before we go on, we're going to take a little break from talking and do some listening instead. It's time for the mystery sound. Are you ready? Yes. Here it is. What do you think that might be? I think it's a puppy whimpering. Ooh, very quick guess. Excellent guess. Well, we're going to hear it again and get the answer a little bit later in the show. Right now, we're working on an episode all about spacesuits. You know, the super cool and super functional outfits that let astronauts do stuff in the cold, dark void of space. Exactly. And that got us thinking, what if we could have cool super suits that let us do something right here on Earth? Andra, what would your super suit do? Well, mine would probably be a marine animal suit that would let me become any marine animal and breathe underwater. Oh, that would be so cool. Like, what marine animal do you have in mind? Probably a dolphin or a turtle. Well, listeners, we want to hear your super suit ideas, too. So please send them to us at brainson.org slash contact. We'll include some of your answers in that space suit episode. And while you're there, you can send us mystery sounds, drawings, high fives, and questions like this one. Hi, my name is Libby, and I am eight years old, and I live in Nederland, Colorado. And my question is, do we sneeze when we are sleeping, but we just don't notice? Bye! We'll be back with the answer to that during our moment of um at the end of the show, and we'll read the latest group of names to be added to the Brain's Honor Roll. And if you stick around to the very, very end, you hear the preview of the new episodes of Smash Boom Best. That's our debate show where we use facts, lore, and the power of persuasion to convince you that one thing is cooler than another. This week, it's Venom versus Claws. It's a nail-biter. So keep listening! Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. 
So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. You're listening to Brain Dump from American Public Media. I'm Andra. And I'm Molly. So we know a lot about genes and DNA and chromosomes, but a lot of what we know was learned relatively recently. Like maybe you've heard people talk about XX and XY chromosomes. Those are the chromosomes that determine biological sex, like whether you're female or male. But how did we find out what those chromosomes did? Let's track back to the early 1900s when lots of scientists were working to understand chromosomes and how parents pass traits on to kids. One of those scientists was a woman named Nettie Stevens. The year was 1905, and I was looking really closely at chromosomes. I mean, literally. I was looking at these chromosomes with a microscope. I was interested in all kinds of insects, and I started with termites, sand crickets, cockroaches, mealworms, and aphids. How do you do? How do you do? Mealworm cell here. So nice to finally have my time under the microscope spotlight. (laughs) Don't uh, mind the mealworm cells. They're an excitable bunch. So, we knew that parents made special cells to grow into kids. We knew these special cells contained a mix of genes from each of the parents. I wanted to know more about how parents pass on traits, and I ended up finding something pretty wild. I discovered how parents' cells give kids their biological sex. I counted the chromosomes in the cells from mealworm moms that become kids. Mealworms rule! Those cells are called eggs. Way ahead of you, Nettie. Those eggs... They've got ten chromosomes. I also counted the chromosomes in the cells from mealworm dads that become kids. The sperm. Those cells have ten chromosomes, too. Ten, 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 ten! Ten! It's the mealworm magic number! And I did this a bunch of times. They all had ten chromosomes. The chromosomes in the egg cells all looked pretty much the same, but in sperm cells, the tenth chromosome came in two sizes. Hmm, this seems important. Sometimes the tenth chromosome in sperm cells was big, and sometimes it was small. And what I noticed was that the male mealworms had those smaller tenth chromosomes, whereas female mealworms had bigger tenth chromosomes. So the tenth chromosome had to be the thing deciding mealworms' biological sex. (laughs) Wow! What a discovery! So happy I could help! On behalf of all the mealworm cells, I will gladly accept my Nobel Prize. Stockholm, here I come! It was very exciting. And it turned out that what I saw under the microscope was true for lots of different animals, including humans. Biological dads give their kids the chromosome that decides their sex. Wow, thanks, Nettie. You're welcome. We've come a long way since scientists like Nettie first showed us what parents pass on to their kids. We have better tools now, too. Like machines that can read all the DNA in your chromosomes. Right. Those machines are helping scientists understand what all of our genes do and how they work. Janina Jeff is a geneticist. She works to understand all the information that's stored in our genes. 
All that information, the sequence of compounds that make up your DNA, is called your genome. And your genome makes you, you. And Janina Jeff says, even though all human genomes are over 99% the same, there's enough unique information that can reveal your history and the history of your ancestors. One of the things that we can do with studying the genome are all of those things. We can understand a story about your identity or the recipe book that makes you, you. If you think about your DNA, you probably didn't realize that you have thousands of years of grandparents and great-grandparents and relatives who you've never met all within your DNA. But in order for us to understand who your ancestors are and who you are related to, we need to do some comparisons, right? We need to take your recipe book and see how similar your recipe book might be with other people. All humans have a book of 300 pages. However, if let's say the book cover is different on my recipe book versus your recipe book, that might tell me something about your ancestors. That might say, well, my ancestors are from Africa and your ancestors might be from Europe. And so that would be one thing, but we still have the same book because we're 99% the same. And so what I'm doing is looking for the book that is the most similar to you. So if I say, okay, I compare your book to the library of books and I say, well, you know, Janina's book has a red cover and chapters, you know, one through five or X, Y, and Z. And that matches 20 of the books in our library. So we make an assumption that because there's a similarity in those books or the genomes that you are related. As you can imagine, your book is, you know, it it represents your individuality. So there is a point in the book where you won't have any matches to anything in the library. And what that describes is your true identity, what makes you, you. Or you might look in the library and you say, oh, wow, of the 300 pages you shared, 295 pages with someone else in the library. And it turns out that's your mom or that's your dad. African descendants have the oldest genomes, and that's because modern-day humans originated out of Africa. And as you can imagine, being the first, a lot of things can happen. Your ancestors have survived thousands of years of all these changes to keep you and the human population alive. So African descendants, because they've been around for so long and because our ancestors were one of the first, have the most amount of variation. Meaning, in those books, there are a lot of unique stories, unique to African descendants. Janina Jeff says because there is so much variation in the books or genomes of people of African descent, there's a lot we can learn by reading those books. One thing she hopes to learn is how we can make better medicines and treatments that work well for everyone. Let's go back to that mystery sound. Here it is again. before, you thought maybe it was a puppy whimpering. Do you have new guesses or you think you're going to stick with that one? I think I'm going to stick with that one. It's a very good guess, I think. Guess what? You are right. It is a puppy whimpering. Specifically, it's a Labrador retriever named Marlo, a yellow one. Very cute. Do you have any dogs? Yes, I have one. What kind of dog? Okay, we don't really know. We think it's a Domeranian, which is a Pomeranian and a Dachshund mixed. So what color is your dog? She's brown, tan, black, red, and white. Oh my goodness. 
That's like all the colors. And what's her name? Willa. Willa. She a good pup? Yes. So the reason that we're talking about Labrador puppies is that it's not just humans that have genes. Animals and plants do too. And this listener has a very specific question about dogs. My name is Megan and I'm from Wittenham, New Hampshire. I was wondering how we get our blonde hair or our brown eyes. My dog is a yellow lab and her parents are both black labs. I know that they are genes, but how does that actually work? Excellent question, Megan. We asked Brains On producer Manika Wilhelm to look into this. Ah, the puppy parent fur color mystery. A classic. Are yellow labs all secretly hitting the canine hair salon for fur touch-ups? Thank you so much for fitting me in. My roots were beginning to show. Nah, it's not canine hair colorists. It's dog genes, or genetics. The same way that our genes tell our cells what to do, dogs have genes, sections of DNA in their chromosomes, that boss their cells around, too. Take it from this dog cell. Oh my, oh my, oh my, I am so happy to be making Labrador fur. This pup will be so warm and stylish. Wait, oh no. Labs can have three colors of fur. There's brown, there's yellow, and black labs. I need some instructions. Genes tell a dog's fur what color to be. And just like us, dogs have two sets of chromosomes. That's two versions of each gene. We're two versions of a fur-color gene. We tell you what color you can make. Oh, I am so glad you're here. So, uh, which one of you do I listen to? You listen to both of us. I tell you instructions from one chromosome. And I tell you instructions from the other chromosome. But here's the thing about having these two versions of a gene. Your cells look at them both. But usually, one of the instructions will beat out the other version. You know how rock always beats scissors in rock, paper, scissors? Like, no matter what? It's a bit like that. But when genes only come in two flavors, one flavor of a gene just always wins over the other. Okay, so what color do y'all want me to make? Black. Brown. (laughs) Rock beats scissors. And black beats brown. Ha! Fine. Great. So I'll make black. If both versions of that gene called for brown fur, then black wouldn't win out. Brown would. And the dog's body would make brown-colored floof. That's how you get a brown lab. Let's rewind and see. Okay, your color will be... Brown. Brown. Brown it is. Is it really as fun if we agree? I just thought you'd say black again. But deciding black versus brown is only part of this process. There's more to this story. Okay, I'm almost ready for my big reveal. Are you guys ready? Uh, yes, we're ready for this surprise. We decided what color you make, remember? Besides the versions of the gene we just met, there's another gene that helps decide a Labrador's color. Ta-da! I'm yellow! Wait, what? I said brown! I said black, and black beats brown. Neither Neither of us said anything about yellow. That's because we did. We decide if fur is a dark color, like black or brown, or if it's a light color, like yellow. Well, that's confusing. But you're the boss, boss. Bosses. Right. Brown or black might win over there between (laughs) Gene Simmons and Gene Harlow. But if we pick light-colored fur, this puppy becomes a nice mellow yellow. Mmm. Butter color. And for dark coloring versus light coloring, 
there's a version that always wins, too. In our case, dark coloring beats light coloring. But this time, we both agreed on light colored fur. This will be a yellow lab. This is unfair. Why are they doing this to us? What's what am going I supposed on? to do with this? We get the final say on the fur. Sorry. Okay. I have a lot of fur to make, so I'll uh, catch you guys later. Remember how this dog has both DNA for brown fur and DNA for black fur, even though it ended up being yellow? Those brown and black genes just got overruled by other genes. And that means that yellow lab could pass down brown or black DNA to her kids and end up having black or brown puppies. No black fur this time. But if I get passed on to a puppy and I get paired with the right combination of genes, that puppy could be black. So that's how two black labs can have a yellow lab puppy or two black dogs can have a yellow or brown puppy. Even if it's not being expressed, a dog can still carry the gene for a different color fur in its DNA, and then it has potential to pass that gene down to its puppies. Wow, this is quite a system. I know, and for different dogs, there are different numbers and combinations of genes that decide colors and patterns, too. This is just for Labradors. Yeesh, in some ways it would be simpler if the dogs just got their hair color at a canine hair salon. <laughs> Maybe I should look into that. It could be an interesting side hustle. I'll workshop and get back to you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Your traits come from your genes. Which are sections of DNA. Which makes up your chromosomes. And are in almost all your cells. Since you have two versions of the same gene. One from your bio mom and one from your bio dad. Sometimes one version will override the other. So even if you have brown eyes, you might still have a gene for blue eyes somewhere in your DNA. And if you look at your whole genome and compare it to others, you can learn the story of your ancestors and what makes you, you. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, San Todden, and Molly Bloom. Our multi-talented fellow is Medica Wilhelm, and we had production help from Christina Lopez and engineering help from Veronica Rodriguez, Cameron Wiley, and David Alvarez. Special thanks to Hina Srivastava, Shelley Langford, Rebecca Drumsta, Heather Norton, Jane Mayenschein, Garland Allen, Rosie DuPont, Jim Bickle, Will Logger, and Tracy Mumford. Brand On is a nonprofit public radio podcast. We rely on donations from our listeners to keep making new episodes. You can support the show and see our cool thank you gifts at brainson.org slash donate. And before we go, it's time for a moment of um. My question is, do we sneeze when we are sleeping, but we just don't notice? Almost certainly not. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michael Howell. I'm a neurologist who is interested in sleep disorders at the University of Minnesota. Uh, sneezing is something that happens during the day which helps clear out any noxious particles that gets up into our nose. So usually, one, first of all, we're not really walking around. We don't have a lot of air circulating through our nose when we're sleeping. We do a little bit, but not a lot. Um, in addition to that, when you fall asleep, your brain is less responsive to the environment. Certainly, we don't remember things, but if someone comes up and pinches you while you're asleep, you may very well not even notice it. Uh, same thing with uh, these 
noxious feelings that can cause us to sneeze, whether or not it's a little bit of pollen in our nose um, or whether or not it's a little bit of dust. If those things circulate in through our nose when we're sleeping, it's very unlikely that our brain will trigger a sneeze because it's just not bothering. Our brain isn't receiving that noxious signal. If someone were to wake up sneezing, I would in fact even say that probably indicates that you're not sleeping well because it tells us that you're not, your brain isn't getting deep enough asleep. Uh, a couple experiences that do frequently wake people up when they're sleeping, however, is coughing. So if they have a, if they have a bad cold, if they have asthma, um, and so to wake up coughing is not unusual, but that again, that also indicates that there's something wrong, which is we need to take care of the coughing, we need to help you get a better night of sleep. Whether I'm wide awake or dreaming, these names are always on my mind. This is the Brain's Honor Roll, the fantastic listeners who fuel our show with their terrific questions, ideas, mystery sounds, and drawings. Ethan and Edward from Stamford, Connecticut, Xenia from New Britain, Connecticut, Sadie from Oviedo, Florida, Tristan and Zoe from Torrance, California, Florian from Rhode Island, Will and Lauren from Cleveland Heights, Ohio, Luna and June from Arlington, Virginia, AJ and Mie from Kaimuki, Hawaii, Surya and Corinne from Toronto, Noble Poem and Honor from Atlanta, James from New York, Aria and Arden from Princeton, New Jersey, Petra and William from Roanoke, Virginia, Evie and Will from Chesapeake, Virginia, Grace and Molly from Hopat Kong, New Jersey, Josiah and Elise from Colorado, Bear from Tennessee. Washington, Brian from Wilmette, Illinois, Alice from Herndon, Virginia, Natalie from Mountain View, California, Jackson from Alaska, Jonah from Ventura, California, Valentino from Oakland, California, Evan from Denver, Malu and Bo from Seattle, James from Santa Rosa, California, Tristan from Ortigueras, Spain, Ryan and Cara from Dublin, Ireland, Hannah Marie from Edmond, Oklahoma, Eleanor from Haddonfield, New Jersey, Jake from Portland, Oregon, Holden from Philadelphia, Azalea and Braylon from Milwaukee, Chippy from Stockbridge, Georgia, Jonas and Cayman from Dallas, Ava from Warsaw, Indiana, Olivier from Waterloo, Ontario, Zoe from Ware, Massachusetts, Eli from Escondido, California, Markian from Wellington, New Zealand, Jay and Ava from Ann Arbor, Michigan, Alice from Tigard, Oregon, London from Salt Lake City, Logan from Dallas, Tilly and Hugo from Dallas, Sophie and Callista from Pasadena, California, Gianna from Pasadena, California, Jeremy from Silver Spring, Maryland, Hazen from Spokane, Washington, Busby from Sydney, Australia, Rosemary from Leesburg, Virginia, Ira from Minneapolis, Hugh from Lynchburg, Virginia, Owen from Chan in Minnesota and Liam from Tampa, Florida. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening. And now for a sneak peek at this week's Smash Boom Best. It's Venom versus Claws. Which one is cooler? Well, this round kept our contestants Brandy Brown and Tom Weber in a state of puzzlement. All right, Brandy, you're up first. Let's hear your acrostic poem about claws. C. Can do all sorts of things. L. Less energy to use. A. Always there when you need them. W. Wounds, because sometimes you're not trying to kill. S. Species don't evolve to tolerate claws. Mmm, very nice. Mm -hmm. Tom, Mm -hmm. let's hear your acrostic about venom. All right, here we go. Venom, V, very toxic. E, exacting. N, not claws. (laughs) O, offensive and defensive. (laughs) M, medicine maker. 
Very nice work, both of you. Maddie, do you know who you want to give a point to for this sneak attack round? I think I do. Oof, she decided quickly. You can check out who wins this battle by subscribing to Smash Boom Best in your podcasting app. And after you listen, tell us who your favorite is. Cast a vote at smashboom.org. 